from high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Emily Arnson. This is your news for Tuesday, September 19th. Today, we're diving in to Utah's landlocked ocean. In the desert just west of Salt Lake City, there's a Caribbean fish habitat and scuba diving school called Bonneville Sea Base. The owners, Linda Nelson and George Sanders, love diving, but they also love the desert. This is Nelson. I love landlocked Utah because we're right equally distant from all oceans, so we get to go in all the oceans. See, if you lived in California, it would be stupid to go to Florida to dive, right? (laughs) So we're lucky. When they bought the property in 1988, they excavated and enlarged the spring-fed pools that were already there. Today, there are three pools ranging in depth from 12 feet to 62 feet. The pools are naturally warm and salty, perfect conditions for diving. The only missing ingredient fish. You know, it's like a Jurassic Park. (laughs) Since starting this project, she's experimented with all kinds of fish, and some of them do better than others. The black drum, they breed. They just aren't aren't supposed to be recreating themselves so fast, but they get to be that big. Can you, that's like three feet? How many? Five feet. Are you trying to get rid of the black drums? Yes. How do you do that? We've got a few friends who were avid spear fishermen. We got some and we had great fish tacos. It's hard to eat our babies. Right now, Seabase is home to thousands of fish and about 10 different species of marine life. The crabs that we've got, we started off with some we rescued from an Asian food market. (laughs) They did really well. Some are abandoned pets, some come from the live tank at the grocery store, and some come in the mail from a marine biologist friend in North Carolina. And whatever, he sends things whenever... You know, little tiny things about that big, and they grow up and do really well. At one point, they had two nursing sharks that lived to be 24 years old. The sharks are gone, but they still have tropical fish, like... Angelfish. This is Christine Finch, the fish keeper. And those are mollies. Okay. Those are the ones that will give you a pedicure on your feet. Stick your feet in, they come and nibble all the dead skin off your feet. She's describing the little goldfish-type fish that we can see at the edge of one of the pools. There's some blennies. The blennies have kind of a blunt nose, like an eel. There should be some pinfish come up out of water here for you. See? They're really pretty, though. The pinfish are light blue and have pin-like spikes on their dorsal fin. And there's a mullet that I've seen that's probably about that long as well. She's holding her hands about three feet apart. She's describing a mullet. Okay, the mullets were bigger than I was expecting. They're very tropical. They're like turquoise blue, cute little round face. Three feet didn't seem that big when she was holding her hands up, but I kind of am glad I didn't see them when I was swimming. When I saw them after I got out of the pool, three foot fish is pretty big. So what's the salinity of the water here? The same as the ocean. The water at sea base is about 3% salinity. The ocean is about three and a half percent. When the water from the aquifer pushes through the Earth's crust at sea base, it mixes with salt from the ancient lake bed of Lake Bonneville. So you don't have to add anything to the water to make it no, habitable? No. But you have to feed them? Yeah, I feed them, but there is enough food in there. If they missed a day, they'd be fine. But just to keep them so they're human-friendly, they will come up to you. So it's kind of like their own ecosystem? Yes, mm-hmm, exactly. Okay, so there's no difference between like the water that is in the East Coast where these fish come from and then the water here? Not really, no. It's basically all the same. Uh, Temperature obviously goes a little bit different. And what happens in the winter with these tropical fish? Um, They stay lower where the springs are coming up, the water's warmer down below. The early days it was much warmer um, before the droughts cooled things down. So we had all kinds of fish from Thailand and Indonesia. Lots of different angelfish, lots of different butterfly fish. They just can't handle the cold winters. Why does the drought make the water colder? 
because without water in the Great Salt Lake, the lake pushes down on the aquifer and the water comes up here. The lake is so low, it's easier for this water to come up out there. So it doesn't come in here as fast. It still comes in. I mean, it still replenishes itself, but it's much slower. So it can't keep up with the evaporation, cooling, and wintertime cooling. And it got down to, what, the high 50s, mid 50s last winter. Changing water temperatures is making it hard for sea bays to keep their ecosystem alive. Plus, Nelson says she's just getting too old to run the dive school. The dive school is officially closed through 2023 because of the drought, and Seabase is for sale. The only people that really seriously want to sell, buy it want to divide it up, subdivide it, and put in a condos and little houses, little, you know, one and a half acre lots. So not the point of this place? Not the point of this place. What's going to happen to the fish? Like, are you just going to keep living here and taking yeah. care of them? They said that I can live here as long as I want and keep feeding the fish. You can find more information about Seabase in today's show notes. Wildlife officials in Colorado found an invasive species of crayfish in the upper Colorado River Basin this summer. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, they're now focusing on stopping it from spreading further. It's called a rusty crayfish, named after reddish spots on its shell. It's native to the Ohio River Basin, and it can cause big trouble if it shows up in western waters. Colorado Parks and Wildlife Invasive Species Manager Robert Walters says they can eat smaller native fish and disturb their habitats. So unfortunately, once they become established, there is very limited potential for eradicating them. Uh, So really the goal at this point is to make sure that they don't get spread into other locations. Walters says those efforts are extra important because Lake Granby, where the crayfish was found, is right next to the Colorado River. It's been more than a decade since the species was seen in Colorado and was only spotted one other time further south in the basin in a small wash near Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Alex Hager. The annual Denver Mineral Fossil Gem and Jewelry Show took place last week. It's the largest show of its kind in the U.S., with vendors from all around the world. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU brings us this report. My name is Lee Brown. I'm here at Bookbinder Crystals, LLC. We're set up at the Denver Gem and Mineral Show 2023. And I think the coolest thing about precious metals and gems and rocks and crystals is the fact that they are going to long outlast um, us as organisms. It's very often something that's found in tombs and historical sites and things like this is the stones of the time, how they process them. And I just think it's very beautiful. Every crystal is absolutely geometrically perfect and it was grown and created this way without our interaction, and that's probably the coolest aspect about them. My name is Harun Said. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm in business for almost 22 years. It is wonderful to realize that under our feet, there is so much of fascinating stuff. So here is one example. This is the Phantom Course, and uh, this comes from southern part of India, pretty close to where I also come from and uh, they are like uh, glass you can see through. Every single crystal has another crystal inside it. What has happened is in all these crystals are millions of years old. When this crystal was at the age of the inside crystal, it had to go through something huge, like a a life-altering event, like earthquake, volcanoes, due to which another mineral washed over it. In this case, it is hematite. That's why it is red. 
the interesting thing is that the crystal, even though it had to go through that major change in its life, it engraved that event within itself, but it still grew to become a beautiful crystal. So for us, the lesson that we learn is when we go through the ups and downs of our life, nothing should stop us from growing to our potential. So things of that kind make these crystals and mineral specimens amazing and fabulous. My name is Shane. I run a company called Freshwater Jade. I'm actually from Wisconsin, but I do shows around the states. I work primarily as a jade carver. Jade has been revered for thousands of years as an excellent stone for carving and for art, for tools. So for me, it's one of the best stones for doing detailed jewelry, really fine, high-quality art. It's the toughest natural stone in the world. So you can make really detailed, intricate work without it being fragile. My name is Savannah Lee Hughes, and my company name is Hughes Gem Gallery, and I am based out of Nevada City, California. I guess my favorite stone would be dioptase. It's a mineral that mainly comes out of Africa, and there's some places down in Arizona and Mexico where it also comes from, and it just has the most vibrant green-blue color, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Hi, my name's Abduli Jaune. I'm from West Africa, Gambia, and I live in Los Angeles for 29 years. And I import African beads from Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, and Ethiopia. They're made by the local people in Ghana, the Korobo tribes. They use it for the protection and the good luck. It's very important for them. They tie it in the West, they some put it in the neck, some make it as a bracelet. They hang some in their dress, some also like the amber bead, when the females braid the hair, they also dress the hair with it. They're mainly made by the glass. I have a few stuff made by the stone or amber or cow bones, and they also have a shells from Gambia and also from Mali. And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, September 19th. Get your community-powered journalism weekdays on the airwaves at noon and 6. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.